0: In most seminaries, um, you, after doing your first year of classroom work, typically you take the summer that follows and you spend that whole summer in a hospital learning to be a hospital chaplain. It's like an internship where you serve with other seminarians who are chaplains in training. And what I did when I was in seminaries, is I worked at a hospital called Bridgeport Hospital. In the city of Bridgeport, that's in Connecticut, it's in the corridor between New York and New Haven. Bridgeport is the largest and the poorest city in the state of Connecticut. Former factory city, pretty much a hard luck place and never ever was boring at that hospital. And one of the things that you did when you were a chaplain is um, every every week you had one night where you would spend the night just you. The other chaplains would all go home, and you'd take the pager, keep it with you. You'd sleep in the hospital with the pager right next to your pillow. If some emergency happened in the middle of the night, you would go and be present to whatever it might have been. And the night always began with doing pre-op visits. So there's one night where it was my turn, and all my friends uh, left. They went home, and the sun was setting, and I got my page uh, for the pre-op visits to go to, and there was a person on there who was about to have heart surgery in the morning. So I I go toward his room and just as I'm about to get to where his hospital room is, I walk by the nurses station. One of the nurses grabs me and excitedly, but in a hushed voice, she says, we think he's mafia. (laughs) And I think, why is she telling me this? I'd actually much rather not know. (laughs) But of course I'm curious. (laughs) So I walk up to the door, I open the door, and I look in, and as you might have imagined, there was a room full of men lining around the room with their backs against the wall, with him, this older man, sitting propped up in his bed, looking quite feeble, and next to him an older woman, who I imagine was his wife. And this man, with his feeble yet commanding voice, uh, spoke to me and, and over and over was calling me father. Father this and father that. And after a little bit, I, I was feeling nervous. I didn't want to be impersonating a priest when I was not ordained and I was only part way through seminary and I said, um, I, I interrupted him. I said, in, in fact, I'm not ordained, I'm not even Catholic. <laughs> to which he said, you're doing ministry. You're a minister, I call you father to which I said, yes, sir. (laughs) And immediately after he said, now, Father, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer and we all held hands and we prayed. Now, whoever that man really was and whatever his business may or may not have been, the man that I met that night was a scared mortal man preparing himself for a surgery, which he feared. And he was vulnerable. And he needed a minister. And I was so concerned that I wasn't technically qualified that I almost failed to realize that in that moment, I was enough. I find this gospel account about call today, both wonderful and strange. Jesus meets Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, who are casting their nets into the sea, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately, they drop their nets, and they follow him. And then a moment later, he sees James and John, who are mending nets in the fishing boat with their father Zebedee. And Jesus says, follow me. And immediately, not only do they leave, they're fishing and their nets in the boat, but they leave their father, and they follow him. It really makes you wonder, what did they hear? What did they see? How did they know They had just met this person, and immediately they changed their life for him. And we know that the disciples were not brilliant people. They were not particularly qualified for what was ahead of them. In fact, throughout the gospels, they are confused most of the time. They don't say or do the right things all the time, but they are disciples by their act of stepping forward, by their following. They are ordained to be disciples by their act of following. When we speak about call and calling and vocation, sometimes it gets framed in a binary way, as if somebody is called or not called. But the truth is, we are all called. We are all called every day to ministry. Every one of us is called to be a disciple, but the question is not has the Lord called you, but to what has the Lord called you? And what are you going to do about it? We get to discern this as individuals, and we also get to discern this as a community, to what has God called us, and how will we follow faithfully. It takes listening to discern the call. And when you stop and listen to what God's voice is saying, sometimes you'll be very surprised at what you'll hear. Now, people who are preparing for ordained ministry go through a formal process that is called a discernment process. When they listen actively to God's voice, listening for that call, and good thing about it is they don't do it alone, they do it in community, by design. But ordained ministry is only one small example of the ways that people are called, and I believe for a long time that we should not limit discernment for those who are considering serving as clergy or not, we should open up opportunities for discernment for more people Often in responding to a call, it is not about a change in you. In fact, think about the disciples. They did not stop being fishermen. They just became fishermen in a new way. And so when you respond, you're not really changing who you are, but rather fulfilling who you have always been called to be. And it may take courage and sacrifice and even pain to leave the comfort of what you have known in order to follow Christ's call into new territory. But only by doing so will you find fulfillment. And in that, you will experience joy. As Frederick Buechner famously said, the place God calls you is the place where your deep, deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And perhaps the hardest thing is finding that ability to trust. Trust is probably harder now than just about ever, especially the way that we live our lives these days. But when we trust God, that's when things begin to shift. As a hospital chaplain, I found over and over that the best moments with patients did not come because of any skill or strategy or confidence, except for the confidence to trust that God would show up. Trust is delicate. It cannot be forced. It can only be allowed. And when you do trust, you find that God will meet you there. God does show up. And as the disciples that we all are called to be, we are called to show up for the world in a way that will allow God to show up for the world. Like the bread and the wine on the altar, it is not about us. It is about what might come into the world by means of us. And in that way, we all have the potential to be a living sacrament. And while there are officially recognized ministers of the church who are marked by special clothing and titles like father so-and-so or mother so-and-so, when Jesus says, follow me to you and you follow, you are ordained as well, just as much as the pope, just as much as Peter. You are a minister. You're doing ministry. And that is what matters. Amen.